so the problem is that everybody is different from our the way that our metabolisms work to our personal preferences to our lifestyles our habits our family dynamic you know what our our bodies will tolerate in terms of foods that will sit well versus not there's all of these individual characteristics and then we get into like personality dynamics and things like mm -hmm. that where everybody truly is completely unique so to say there's this one approach that's going to work for everybody is just misguided Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome to today's podcast. Today, I have on Mike Milder. He is a nutrition coach, founder of Neurotype Training, author of The Personality Diet, and host of the Mind Over Macros podcast. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's good to connect. And, uh, you know, let's just like get right into it as far as, you know, a, a lot of the work you do is centered around diet, nutrition. You have a pretty interesting approach that incorporates a lot of the psychological and behavioral components to it. But before we get into the kind of nitty and gritty and your approach, how did you first get into fitness and specifically to the diet space? Yeah, it was it was really through my own personal journey and my own struggle. Uh, I grew up an athlete, played sports my whole life. Mm -hmm. And kind of felt like I was the fortunate one in my family. I had been exposed to dieting from a very young age, just watching my mom always counting points or being on one diet or another. Mm -hmm. And there's various levels of eating disorders that ran through my family from my oldest sister, almost losing her life to anorexia and to pretty much everyone in my family dealing with some form of body image issues or dieting issues. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was the lucky one. I was active. I was always playing sports. I never had to think about what I was eating. And when I got to college, uh, I kept playing sports into college. But once I graduated, I was very sedentary at that point. No more team sports. I was still eating and drinking like a college kid. Yeah. So I gained a lot of weight very quickly. And what I found for me was it was more of like this this identity shift that mm -hmm. I felt so like all of my, my friends I made through sports and how I connected with people. And I'm pretty introverted, yeah. so I'm not that much of a... Uh, extroverted outgoing person that connects really well just you know you put me in a crowd I'm probably going to be yeah, the quiet the one, one. <laughs> and so I was like well man if I'm this significantly overweight I can't see any of my friends from home I can't go back and see family because I'm thinking about all the things they're going to say like how yeah. did this happen how did you let yourself go you know all the questions that are spiraling in my mind and my solution was to try to lose weight as fast as possible so I could get back to being me to get back mm -hmm. on a basketball court or a tennis court or whatever. And that led me down the exact thing that I thought I was avoiding that I had witnessed my entire family basically go through, which was fad diets, crash dieting, uh, extremely low calorie, doing hours of cardio every day mm -hmm. just to try to rip the bandaid off as fast as I could. And I developed a lot of poor habits, a poor relationship with food, poor relationship with my body, poor relationship with exercise. And found myself in a really dark place. And, you know, when you lose weight and you gain it back and you lose weight, you gain it back. It's it's demoralizing and it's frustrating. Yeah. And it left me with more questions than answers because I'm like, I'm a pretty smart guy. I know that I can figure this stuff out. But it was like I saw all these other people who were successful or seemingly successful. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And that led me down more of like the science based of all right, let me figure out how our bodies actually work. How does our metabolism mm -hmm. work? Like, what is, what is this all about? And so I started as a personal trainer after uh, I kind of figured some things out on the training side of things. Uh, I was mentoring under a uh, guy mm -hmm. 
guy that owned a gym in my area and he kind of took me under his wing. Mm -hmm. I got my personal training certification, started, you know, coaching classes and working with clients. And I just saw the same people showing up at the gym every day mm -hmm. and they were consistent as hell with their workouts, but their bodies weren't changing. And yeah, when I would talk a lot. To, you know, it was the same conversation like all the time. I, I know what to do in the gym. I just struggle with my nutrition. Mm -hmm. And that was my same story. And once I found strength training and I realized that I didn't have to be doing hours of cardio every day, that I could actually lift weights and get stronger and build muscle and all these things that kind of shifted the paradigm for me, I was still struggling with my nutrition. That was always the sticking point. So I was like, all right, if that was the sticking point for me, and everybody that I'm talking to that I'm training at the gym says the same thing. There's probably something to this whole nutrition thing that I should dive into. And once I went down that path, I just became incredibly passionate about quality nutrition and what it actually takes to, to fuel our bodies appropriately. Yeah. And uh, the, the individualized approach that is necessary because there's so many fad diets out there. There's so many cookie cutter programs. And I really wanted to understand the person from a psychological level and a physiological level. And that's kind of what led me to where I am today. Yeah. I, I really like what you mentioned kind of in the beginning where you explained that a lot of people go through that identity crisis to where, especially if they're, you know, skinnier or, or more athletic their whole life, they're a high school athlete, college athlete. And then once they leave college or they have a switch up of friends and things like that, uh, they, they kind of lose themselves. They lose the routine. They lose the structure that's kind of enabling them to, to maintain their health, their activity, um, and who they are. And so I think that happens to a lot of people. And, you know, I, I wonder if, if you've experienced that with a lot, of, a lot of your clients or how you kind of approach that with uh, trying to make sure people don't kind of fall off the wagon once they have either a change of job or they introduce a lot of times people, you know, when they get married or they have kids, they have this kind of abrupt change to their life and, you know, they let their health go by the wayside. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, you know, we, we go through all these different phases and seasons of life. And I think sometimes we hold on to, to previous versions of ourselves. Yeah. And a lot of our clients will be like, well, in, in high school or in college, I was, I was a high level athlete. Or I was a D one athlete. It's like, I want to get back to that. But their current phase of life is, you know, married with kids and they're working a job and they've got all these other things that they're trying to juggle. And it's like, Hey, back then your sole responsibility was like, you know, work out, practice your sport and like maybe go to class. And yeah, it was like a totally different phase of life. And I think sometimes we have a hard time. We'll, we'll attach to a body weight or a, a number on the scale that we saw yeah. back then. Or like, I need to get back to that number. Your body is completely different now than it was then. And so I think sometimes it's just recognizing that different phases and seasons of life come with different priorities and values. And I think, yeah. unfortunately, when we go through that transition, we tend to put health on the back burner. That's usually the first thing to go. Mm -hmm. And this happens regardless of, of like anytime somebody is pursuing a goal that is, you know, personal development, business, finance, relationship, health. If you think about the the pursuit of a goal, usually when life gets in the way, which it inevitably does, because mm -hmm. life is messy and unpredictable, usually the first thing that they sacrifice is the quality of the foods that they're eating and getting to the gym and moving their body. Like those are usually the first two things that go by the wayside when there is that kind of real life moment that hits where it's not all mm -hmm. smooth sailing, like you're all committed and there's a lot of motivation in the beginning. But then real life settles in and you've got that first curveball. Yeah. And typically what we see is the first thing that, that falls off is the pursuit of health where 
all right, now I don't have, I just want something convenient. I'm going to go through the drive-thru. I'm going to grab something quick that's not the best food choice. Or mm -hmm. I don't have time to get to the gym because I've got all this other stuff on my plate. Uh, so it's unfortunate, but that's typically what we see. Yeah, absolutely. And so you take a very unique approach, like I mentioned earlier, where you, you look at the psychology and the behavioral elements of people. So what is that approach that you take? You, you know, you kind of call it overall the personality diet. What does that entail? What does it mean? Et cetera. Yeah. So it's just my way of packaging the whole personalization of nutrition, training, lifestyle, habits. Mm -hmm. And I think it's unfortunate that we live in a society now where everyone's looking for like the magic bullet or, or the, the secret sauce or the quick fix or whatever it is. And because of that, and that's how we're wired, by the way, our, our brains like to uh, kind of sh take shortcuts because our brains require a lot of energy to run on a daily basis. And we have thousands of decisions that we have to make each day. So anytime we can package something in, in the form of a, a shortcut, our brain's like, oh, that sounds easy. I'm going to preserve energy and just go with mm -hmm. that shortcut. That's why we label things. That's why we often find ourselves in like buckets of you're either this or that, like I'm either a Democrat or a Republican, as if there's nothing mm -hmm. in between. I'm either, you know, the left or the right. I'm either, yeah, you know, this religion or, or that religion, right? Yeah. So it's a shortcut for our brains. So we have the same approach in nutrition training. It's like you ever, you know, there's a bunch of people who say you should eat keto or you should eat paleo or you should eat carnivore. And there's all these different programs that try to place everybody in the same box. Yeah, very and restrictive it's appealing to the brain because it's like, okay, I know what the rules are. I know mm -hmm. what it means to fit into this bucket, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you as an individual. And so the problem is that everybody is different from our, the way that our metabolisms work to our personal preferences, to our lifestyles, our habits, our family dynamic, you know, what our, our bodies will tolerate in terms of foods that will sit well versus not. There's all of these individual characteristics. And then we get into like personality dynamics and things like mm -hmm. that, where everybody truly is completely unique. So to say there's this one approach that's going to work for everybody is just misguided. So what my approach is, how do I package that in a way that's very simple to explain, which is where the personality diet or neurotype training came to play it was like, this yeah. is just my way of defining that it is purely individualized. So when somebody comes to work with us, we start with a personality assessment to understand their tendencies, uh, some of their current behaviors and habits, personal preferences. Uh, we do a whole diet history and, and metabolic assessment to understand what their body's been through from a stress perspective. And have you been dieting on 1200 calories your whole life? Or have you been severely restricting certain foods? Because that will determine how you respond to certain nutritional protocols. Um, you know, what are some of your, your triggers, your outlets or your coping mechanisms when things get difficult? How do you deal with stress? So we look at the whole, whole picture. We look at the whole person and then we meet them where they're at. And it's not really like sexy to talk about, but it's like, this is where you are right now. And you have an objective. You have a goal that you're trying to achieve. We mm -hmm. have to start where you are and then we can come up with the most efficient path forward. Uh, but I don't like to box people in and say, this is the exact plan you have to follow no matter what, because then it doesn't allow any room for life and for, you know, seasons and phases to happen mm -hmm. where let's say we have this perfect laid plan, but then all of a sudden there's a, you know, somebody gets some bad news about a family member that's sick or, you know, there's a stressful period that they have to adjust to. We don't want to be so married to a plan that we lose sight of 
all the other inputs that are coming in that would require us to adapt. Um, so that's my long-winded way of saying we really assess the individual, understand where they're starting, and then yeah. we set them up for the best path forward while still leaving room for adjustments and understanding the ebbs and flows of, of life happening. Yeah. Before I dig into the, or I ask you to dig into the different five personality types, how do you approach that idea of, you know, having enough flexibility to where, you know, things can come up, issues happen, life, you know, happens basically, but at the same time, having enough uh, rigidity to their diet that they still are on track. They're still on plan. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I always look at it as there are certain pillars or I call them anchors that they ground you no matter what life is throwing at you. And these are things that are, you know, strong, healthy habits that have stood the test of time. That's, mm. this is like building the foundation of the house. So the foundation of the house has to be built, uh, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances. And those are things like, you know, quality food choices and drinking water and moving your body each day and getting enough sleep and recovery and managing stress and, you know, things of that nature where it's just, these are quality habits that should hold you down no matter what, like, on so there's kind of like a few non-negotiables that non-negotiables. are, yeah, that happen no matter what. And then as far as, okay, if you, you know, you, you go a little bit off diet here, you have some fast food, you go on vacation, whatever, we can work with that. But at least, you know, you're still going to try and make sure you're having, you know, you're hydrated on your trip or, you know, like you mentioned, you're still getting your steps in while you're out of town. Exactly. That's exactly okay. it. It's like, what are the things that you can do even on your worst day? On your yeah. worst day, at a minimum, can you get in a 10 minute walk? Most people say, yeah, I can do that. On your worst day, can you still, uh, you know, get some protein and veggies in? Can you still drink some water? Like, mm -hmm. And again, this is going to be dependent on the person, but ultimately we want to get somebody where they just keep building on that foundation over yeah. time and repetition and recognize that it doesn't matter if I'm motivated today. It doesn't matter if I feel like shit today. No matter what, mm -hmm. I have this base foundation that is, is solidified. So then... Then there's like the window dressing that we can get into, which is like, you know, certain food choices and, you know, maybe we're tracking macros. Maybe we are doing some kind of meal timing adjustments. Maybe we're, we're trying to optimize for performance. That's more of the individual variables that can come into play if we need them. Uh, but the foundation is always where we start with every single person. Yeah. And, so, uh, oh no, go ahead. No, it's just, it, it's, it's one of those things that, a lot of people try to skip it because it sounds too simple. And yeah, if yeah. somebody comes in and they're like, well, I already do all the, those things. I'm like, great, let's prove it. Show me yeah. that you can do those things consistently and then yeah. we'll, we'll take the next step. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's like, what, what can I do despite fill in the blank rather than, you know, I can't do this because, you know, so forth. So let's dig into those personality types. You know, there's, there's five of them. What made you come down to five or what, what created those five? And if you could kind of briefly discuss each one. Yeah. So it was just a way to help us understand our clients more effectively. Um, I did some work with uh, understanding personality psychology, understanding uh, behavioral psychology. And what I wanted to do was get a better head start for clients because typically when I first started working with clients, it would be a very long introductory period of getting to know that person. And usually the first month was like, I just need to know this individual on a deeper level so that mm -hmm. I can start to optimize and customize things for them. Uh, so when I started studying more of the personality psychology, more behavioral psychology, it was like, you know what, there, 
is actually a way that we can get a head start on this process and people like to see results a lot quicker. So rather than having to delay a month, uh, let's do this assessment and let's make the intake process a little bit more uh, cumbersome. So that way we have a starting point that will resonate more deeply with that individual. So I didn't want to make it too complicated. I took elements of concepts that have been around for a while. Um, mm -hmm. There's psychologist, um, Dr. Braverman, Dr. Kloninger, they have these uh, personality assessments that they've used for a while. And it's been understood for, for a long time that your personality characteristics uh, are a really great insight into your brain chemistry. So we know that certain traits and certain characteristics will be strongly correlated with certain neurotransmitters in the brain. And so things like, you know, risk takers or extrovertedness or people who seek pleasure thrill seekers, like there's going to be a strong correlation to that in dopamine, uh, meaning they have a strong response anytime that dopamine is present, or they have highly sensitive receptors to dopamine. So it could either be high levels of dopamine, or it can be very sensitive receptors to dopamine that has them being more extroverted, more outgoing, more uh, risk takers and that sort of thing. So the personality assessment allows us to see, all right, what is this person's brain chemistry like? And then once we have that information, then we can start to put a plan together that will align with their natural tendencies. So it's mm -hmm. working with their nature versus just guessing against, or yeah. fighting against it. Um, yeah. So the five different neurotypes, um, it's broken down into type 1A, type 1B, which mm -hmm. are classified as dopamine dominant. So the main neurotransmitter that drives their behaviors is dopamine. Uh, and that's where it's like the assertiveness, the, the leadership, um, mm -hmm. or natural athletes, more explosive, more outgoing, um, all going to be very dopamine driven. Then we have type two A's, uh, which is the neurotype that I am, or the personality type that I am. And when I say neurotype personality type, they're, they're interchangeable. Interchangeable. Yeah. Got it. Uh, type two A is adrenaline dominant. Um, we are chameleons. We can fit into any situation. Uh, we typically crave variety. Uh, we don't, we get bored very easily. So if something is redundant and repetitive, we'll, we'll get bored of it. We'll want to switch to the next thing. Um, type two B's are driven by glutamate, which is kind of that emotional amplifier. So those are people that are typically driven by emotions. They typically are, um, they have very high highs and very low lows, uh, yeah. and they are more intuitive. They, they make decisions based off of that gut feeling or that emotional feeling. Uh, they're very in tune with, with their body and how they feel. And then you have type threes, which are serotonin dominant. And those are the people who are very structured, very detailed, very organized. They like a plan. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if something is like new and uncertain, it drives them nuts. They have typically higher anxiety. So yeah. they, like, they like structure. They like for things to be organized. And so those are the five different types. Um, and again, once we have that information, that the, the key is we know their tendencies. We know their strengths, weaknesses. Uh, yeah. We know what they'll they'll naturally gravitate towards, so it just gives us a head start in putting a plan together. Gotcha. So with clients, do you have them follow a kind of macro dieting approach, or do you guys give them kind of structured meal plans? Because obviously, you know how nutrition coaches work can vary greatly. Yeah. Uh, so it always depends. That's usually going to be my answer. Is it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm not a big fan of meal plans just because it doesn't. To me, it doesn't teach the client anything. Our objective is for yeah. our clients to not need us anymore. Uh, we want to be a means to an end. You come in, you learn what works for you, you learn how to create this foundation 
uh, you implement, you instill some quality habits in your life, you see some results and you're like, you know what, I know exactly what I need and to do graduate. moving forward. And I graduate. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think for, for a meal plan, you're not really learning anything other than I can follow a bunch of things on a piece of paper that someone told me to eat. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really tell you like, you know, what do you do when you can't follow that plan? What do you do when you're out at a restaurant? What do you do when real life happens? Yeah. Uh, so I do prefer at least a temporary period of tracking macros. It's not for everybody, but it is an effective tool to gain awareness around how much you should be eating, the types of foods mm-hmm. that you can be eating, um, how to put your meals together, understanding how to read food labels. I think there is a high degree of um, education that goes along with macros that you can carry forward well after you stop tracking. So mm-hmm. I look at macros as a short-term intervention that we can learn a lot and make some really good decisions based off of that and then teach you the skills to be able to carry on without tracking. Yeah, I like that a lot that you mentioned the information aspect of it because it is one of those things that's really unfortunate that you know most of the population, we all eat food, we all work out, but so many, you know, su- such a few amount of the population understands, you know, what, what goes into the food? What's, what's the macros? A lot of these products, right, are labeled high protein and they'll have like eight grams of protein and they'll have a bunch of additives and preservatives, preservatives. And, um, yeah, so that, that component's really important. And I've always been a big fan of, um, you know, if it fits your macros and stuff like that. I, you know, I wonder if you got into it around the same time where I feel like it was booming in those kind of early 2010s times. Um, and, yeah, I mean, since then, you know, I, I was a huge my fitness pal guy. I was like so proud of my like four year streak until I accidentally lost it, and then I got frustrated about it. But uh, it's it's the best way because it's you know you can be really flexible about it. You can still be kind of rigid. Like you're probably gonna have the same breakfast, the same lunch, or certain snacks, right, that you buy. So you, you still have some you know structure and form and a skeleton to it. But like you said, it's gonna offer a lot more variety. You're gonna be able to uh, have Plan B, Cs, and Ds when things happen. And like you mentioned, you really get to learn, oh, this is actually what's in it. Or, oh, uh, one, you know, two tablespoons serving of peanut butter is a lot smaller than I thought it was, right? Yeah, there's always that. That moment is usually the one that, that most people hate to realize and how many yeah. calories and how little peanut butter you actually get for a serving. Um, <laughs> but it's I, the analogy I always use, it's like budgeting. You know, if you were to look at your finances and look at how much you're spending versus how much you're saving – there's going to be some useful information. Now you don't have to meticulously budget for the rest of your life. But when Mm -hmm. you do an assessment, you say, Oh man, I didn't know I was spending X amount per month on this. Like I'm buying all this stuff on Amazon. I didn't even realize how much it was adding up to. Like that's the equivalent of when you're like, I didn't realize I was eating so many (laughs) chips or cookies and it was adding up to all these calories. So like now you have the awareness and now we can audit yourself. Yeah. It's just like an audit. So uh, it's basically like budgeting, just doing it with your nutrition and, the, the level of awareness that it creates, I think it, it's one of the most valuable tools that we can use. Um, in my book, I recommend just do it for 30 days of your life. Like if you take one month out of your whole life, which is hopefully very long and fruitful, but like one month mm-hmm. out of your whole life is not that much time to dedicate to learning something that can provide a lot of value for years to come. Yeah. So one of the things I saw you, you post about, I think it was a few weeks ago, but, uh, you know, it's growing in popularity is uh, 75 hard. And you had a big gripe about it. And I, I completely resonate with it. Um, so, you know, it, maybe this is your platform to kind of rant or explain, you know, what's the difference between, you know, 75 hard where, you know, people are following this very strict, this very um, difficult kind of suffering mentality type of diet. And, you know, it's more than just a diet. There's other elements to it as well. Um, but why is that? Why would you not recommend someone to follow that? And, and what makes your personality diet approach 
a much more sustainable approach for uh, longevity and, and health over time. Yeah, so I always I always get a lot of uh, haters or trolls or whatever you want to call them when I talk about 75 hard because the people that do it are very passionate about it, and I think mm-hmm. that's great. I think I'm not... I'm not anti anything that helps somebody. If somebody finds value out of it and it truly helps them change their life, I'm all for it. What I see is that more often than not, it is creating this all or nothing cycle, which people struggle with to begin with. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they start a diet, their mindset is I have to be perfect. I have to be strict. I have to be rigid. And if I make one mistake, all bets are off. I screwed up. Why even bother? And they live in this all or nothing cycle. Sets them up for failure. It sets them up for failure, yeah. right? And if you think about it, like, why do New Year's resolutions fail so miserably? It's because the New Year's resolution is setting you up where you're you're literally trying to do everything perfectly all at once. When somebody sets mm-hmm. this big ambitious goal, it's like, all right, this is it. I'm I'm sick and tired of how I feel and how I look. I'm gonna change my nutrition. I'm gonna change my exercise routine. I'm gonna start walking more. I'm gonna start taking these supplements. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna start meditating. I'm gonna do all of these Read things. Read every day, yeah. <laughs> and you're just setting yourself up for failure because you don't yeah. allow any room for real life to happen. You don't allow for that that day where it's just, you know what, I didn't get it done today and that's okay. But when you are joining a program that literally tells you if you don't do all of these things, Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are unnecessary. Like, why do we have to work out twice in a day? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some of the things that I think about 75 hard, you know, reading 10 pages of a book, like that, that's valuable. There's certain things that I think the intent is there, but I just think the execution is poor because we are putting this whole laundry list of things and we're telling people, if you slip up on any one of these things, then you you failed and you have to yeah. start over. So it just reinforces the all or nothing cycle that we need to to move away from. I think yeah. the magic happens in the gray. The magic happens like I consider my wheelhouse to be the science of goal achievement. I've been helping people accomplish goals for a long time and I feel like I have it pretty down pat to a science. And what we don't want is that overemphasis on perfection. What we do want is somebody who knows to fit, who, who learns how to fail more effectively. So on the day that they don't get their 75 hard checklist done, they don't think I screwed up and I have to start all the way at the beginning. They think, mm-hmm. how can I learn from this? What can I do better next time? Uh, but, you know, as a lifestyle, it isn't sustainable. It's not realistic to train for two days every single day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. So if the objective here is is to teach people sustainable habits, then I think it comes up really short. Uh, now, some people view it as just this like mental litmus test. Yeah. Can I push myself a little bit further? Can I see what I'm really capable of? And I think if you have the appropriate mindset going into it, great. But I've talked to so many people that went through 75 hard, finished it, saw progress, completely went off the rails, lost all of their progress. And they're like, all right, I got to do this again. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the antithesis of what we actually want to accomplish in a program. If a program is effective, it should set you up for success where you don't have to go back to the program. You you know yeah. how to do this on your own. And that's what I think we do really well is we empower people to learn how to fail, to be able to pick themselves up and continue moving forward. And it's about sustainability. It's not about perfection. Yeah. And, and the problem with a lot of programs and when people are looking up to other influencers is, you know, what, what works for one person doesn't work for you. And a lot of problems that occur is that, 
these routines or these structures, these plans aren't adaptable. And so if they are very strict in this way and you try and just to adopt that to your current life and it doesn't make up for the fact that you have a certain work schedule or you have kids or you have a job, blah, 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 all these different things, then, um, yeah, you're, like we mentioned, you're kind of just setting yourself up for failure again. Uh, one specific problem that I've ran into with clients in the past and I'm sure friends and family of yours as well and other clients, and it's a very common issue is, you know, the person that needs to lose weight or wants to lose fat, but they're already severely under eating. So how do you approach that client? Because typically how I've thought about it and how I've worked with people is, you know, explain to them, okay, we need to actually work you up in food, increase that calorie intake, get the metabolism working, obviously increasing activity as well before we can start, start, start dropping and actually focus on losing fat. And that's, of course, something they don't want to hear because, as you mentioned earlier, they want the quick fix, the simple solution, the thing that sounds uh, sexy or easier. Yeah, it's uh, something I deal with very frequently. Most of our clients actually come to me from that background of been dieting their whole lives, they've been under eating, and then they get to a place where their metabolism just isn't responding anymore uh, because they're, you know, they're trying to preserve energy. Like if your mm -hmm. body senses that there's not enough energy coming in to support day-to-day -day life, uh, your body's going to preserve any way that it can. It's going to find ways, and and typically the way that it does that is by shutting down processes in the body that are uh, calorie rich like it takes a lot of energy to for a woman to have her cycle so a lot of times mm -hmm. female clients will find that they lose their cycle because your body's trying to preserve energy or your immune system it takes a, a lot of energy to function so mm -hmm. you might notice that you get sick easier because your body is trying to preserve by shutting down your immune system uh, so it's a perfectly natural response to an overabundance of stress in the form of not enough energy coming in and, and a lot of people don't want to hear that because they're like, wait, I have this fat I want to lose. So mm -hmm. just tell me how to do it. And we're telling them we're actually going to eat more. There's going to be this <laughs> healing process. We need yeah. to get your metabolism back to homeostasis. And they're like, nah, I just want to lose fat. So yeah. <laughs> the question I always ask is like, how's it been working out for you so far? Like you've been on this path of eating 1200 calories because that always seems to be the magic number that people come to me with. Like yeah. you've been eating 1200 calories. How's that been working out for you? It's like, well, I'm stuck. I'm not making progress and I feel tired all the time. I'm hungry. I'm not sleeping well. I'm moody. I have no sex drive. I'm like, great. Mm -hmm. Do you want to keep feeling like that? Like, absolutely not. So we have two options here. We could either have you eat less, which would then maybe get a little bit of progress, but your metabolism is going to adapt again and you're going to be right back in the same position only with less food. Mm -hmm. Or we can go the opposite way and we can focus on helping you feel better, getting your energy levels up, helping you perform better in the gym, recover more effectively. You'll be sleeping better. You'll be happier because you'll actually have your sex drive back. Like all of these positives that we try to focus on outside of the scale, it's like, which, which do you want to choose? And most of the time, once you kind of present it that way, they're like, okay, I guess I don't really have a choice. I'm going to go this way because mm -hmm. this current way hasn't been working and that doesn't sound like something where I should just keep banging my head against the wall. Let me try to heal and focus on these other positives of more energy, better strength, more confidence, sleeping better, performing better, recovering more effectively. Let's go that path. And yeah. typically once they start feeling better internally, then they're, they're, they're fully on board. It probably varies a bit, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there a kind of process you follow with increasing their calories obviously you probably do it in a slow approach and like i mentioned it varies blah 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 but you know is there a way that you're kind of looking at a slow 50 to 100 calories you know every week every couple of weeks and you know at, at what point do you feel like they're in a, a safe 
kind of range. And you referenced the 1200 number that I, I see often as well. Uh, you know, I guess what, what does that first phase look like with them? Yeah. So it really depends on where they're coming in from. Yeah. If somebody is, has been like actively dieting and they're open to eating more, I'll make the first increase, the biggest increase because there's the mental tax of dieting or always focusing on your weight and being like, I have to eat this, you know, 1200 calories. And they're, they're spending a lot of mental energy trying to stay disciplined, trying to lose this weight, trying to eat that little. So I want, I don't want them like with a slow increase, they're still going to feel like they're dieting. Like if I go from 1200 to 1250 or 1300, mm -hmm. you're still mentally dieting at that point. But if I go from 1200 to let's say 1500, now there's a little bit of a reprieve. Now all of a sudden mm -hmm. they can relax a little bit and they start to feel that effect. Uh, I find it's, it's more profound when we can make a bigger jump. So for most people, if they're open to it, it really depends on where they're at mentally. I find that that's the biggest thing. Like, where are you at mentally? If the scale goes up a couple pounds, are you going to lose it? Are you going to freak out? <laughs> or like, are, yeah. are, we in, are you in this? Like, are you in this to feel better and to look better in the long run? Or do you know yourself well enough to say if the scale goes up, like I'm freaking the fuck out. So um, if in those in those situations, if they are in a more fragile place mentally, I might take mm -hmm. a slow and steady approach. But for most people, I try to make a big increase right out of the gates. And um, there, there's no research to, to say that one way is better than the other. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just mentally what can they handle. And I found through just anecdote that if you take that slow, long approach, it makes people feel like they're dieting longer and they don't yeah. see the benefits as quickly. So I like to get it done with uh, a little bit more, uh, more yeah. rapidly. That makes sense. If you just drag them out the water, they may hate it more, but you get a little bit of results a little bit quicker. That's in the sense it makes some sense. One uh, final question I got for you kind of revolves around the whole dieting because you know with your background with bodybuilding and my experience with bodybuilding as well, Obviously, when it comes down to if you're trying to get real lean, if you're trying to get those abs popping, whatever the case may be, you're going to have to go through some tough times of dieting when you're very hungry. What are some hacks, tips, advice you have for kind of overcoming that hunger, trying to feel more satiated uh, when you are deep into a, a diet or a cut? Yeah, I think the first thing is don't be dieting all that frequently. And that's like if people understood that mindset and you spent most of every year prioritizing just internal health and strength and building muscle and performance and just stop focusing on fat loss all the time. I think that everybody would see significant improvements in how they look and how they feel. So that's the first part is just stop dieting all the damn time. But yes, yeah. when you are, when you're in that mode and you're ready to go, like, um, as we're recording this, I'm, I'm actually on day one of my dieting phase. I've been at Good maintenance timing. for a long time yeah. and we're starting. I'm ready. I'm at that point where I'm like, you know what? I'm a little too thick for my liking. I'm ready to cut. And um, so I don't feel any sort of mental effects because I've been spending so much time at maintenance. So going into it well-fueled is really important. Yeah. Uh, once you're in it, yes, dieting is not supposed to be sustainable. This isn't the sustainable part. This is the part where we are intentionally disrupting homeostasis. We are intentionally manipulating your body. We're tapping into stored energy, which is body fat. It's just stored energy. We're tapping into it and we are changing our body composition. So it's not supposed to be the sustainable part. This is supposed to be the, the, the part that sucks. Short-term, so, goal-driven. Yeah, like yeah. The, the thing is, let's get in and let's get out. So keep it short and sweet. Recognize that this is just a temporary phase. Now is the time to dial up the consistency. 
Um, some of the things that I look to, to make it easier on myself is I'm going to go from like, typically I'm around 80 to 85% like whole quality foods when I'm dieting. Mm -hmm. It's more like 90, 95% because I want to stay satiated. So I'm going to eat a lot of quality protein, a lot of fiber, a lot of veggies. Um, I want to make sure that I feel like I'm eating a lot of food. So that's yeah, where I'll, volume. You know, the big ass salad every day, a lot of fruit, mm -hmm. like things that are going to fill me up. Um, staying hydrated and also making sure that you're getting in enough enough electrolytes is super important. Um, so that's another thing that I'll always make sure that maybe I'll throw in like an electrolyte mix into my water, uh, making sure that I have enough sodium. Um, I'll snack on some pickles or things like that. Um, hydration is key because sometimes hunger is just dehydration. So How do you, you feel about uh, diet sodas as a or, or, or some kind of flavored drink that doesn't have calories to kind of curb and give you like a little bit of that something that you're you're after. Yeah, I think the okay. carbonation can help for some people for sure. Like I'll use yeah. that. I'll do the carbonated water, uh, sparkling water. Uh, if you know, I I was on this like Coke Zero every single day kick. Um, I've definitely gone to less frequent now. So yeah, now I probably have like two or three. You like sparkling water? The sparkling water is okay. I don't do it. I do it more for. I don't like, like any of the brands. I, I, people always try and try and tell me yeah tried the Pellegrino. A lot of people are in the, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, LaCroix or whatever it is. And yeah. uh, they're like, oh, well, try this flavor. I'm like, no, they all suck. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Yeah, I agree. I don't like the flavor, but I will do it just because the bubbles <laughs> will fill me up. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, again, like don't make it harder on yourself than it needs to be. So th this is the time where you want to cook most of your meals at home. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to be dining out. Obviously there's things that you can't control. So if you have to just make the best of it, um, try to cut back on alcohol. And, and the, is, this is to un, like with the understanding of this is the unsustainable part. But if we delay it, then the unsustainable yeah. part becomes longer than we need it to be. So just my philosophy is always get in and get out and um, recognize that there's going to be issues with with hunger and uh, also focusing as much as you can on managing stress in other areas. So you know, quality sleep can help. And then having any sort of like activity throughout your day that just recharges your battery. Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to eliminate stress. And that's not the objective. The objective is to recharge your battery. So we have activities that drain the battery, we need activities that recharge the battery, whatever that looks like for you, maybe that's, you know, breath work or meditation or going for a walk or getting yeah. out into nature, something that helps to mitigate and manage stress and recharge your batteries is super important when you're dieting because you are already putting your body under stress just by eating uh, less than your body needs. So uh, those are some of the things that I look at food quality, yeah. hydration, uh, little ways to stay full through like carbonation, things like that, um, electrolytes, and then managing stress, getting quality sleep. Yeah. So when it comes to getting the word out about the personality diet and a lot of things that you do, what is kind of your strategy? Because as we mentioned, you know, it isn't the most sexy thing. And I think it's important to kind of simplify and dumb it down, which is, is possibly, and it's kind of a question, why you transitioned from previously peak optimization uh, performance, right, POP? Yep. Yep. And then you transition now to neurotype training. It sounds like a rebrand. So what is that strategy been? Because as we talked about before we started the podcast, you know, it, it is difficult. So you brought on a bunch of coaches, you started to delegate kind of what are those next steps and things you've done to try and get the word out more and connect with more individuals? Yeah, so um, pop was is the business name that I actually named after my grandfather. Uh, I okay. called him pop up. 
And so uh, he passed away right before I started my business. And so I, I named my company after him. So that's like the umbrella, but I nobody knows what that is. If you're like talking about it and you're like, yeah, oh, like, what is that? And like, oh, it's this new. So I felt like it required a lot of explanation. Um, yeah. Whereas neurotype training, it's like it's got neuro. There's something about the brain training. It's probably something fitness Sounds related. Cool. I felt yeah. like it was a star <laughs> connection. Um, my book, The Personality Diet. So um, to answer the question, though, it's it's really through doing things like this, um, getting mm -hmm. on podcasts. I have my own podcast, uh, writing the book. I do speaking engagements. I just spoke at a summit uh, last week to you know really talk about my expertise on goal achievement and and helping i also mentor other coaches and mm -hmm. helping them to improve the results that they get for clients um so understanding the the psychology of behavior change and the psychology of goal achievement and how does this process actually happen so i feel like my impact is is felt on a deeper level if i can help more coaches and equip them with those tools and then you know ultimately expand my reach that way getting on mm -hmm. podcast you know i might I might have another book in my future, things like that, just to spread the word. Gotcha. Gotcha. Where, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, the best place to connect with me is probably on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And then I always try to refer people to my podcast. It's yeah, called absolutely. Mind Over Macros. Um, it's on any podcast platform. And that's the best place to listen to me rant and you know go off on tangents about whatever. <laughs> uh, it's like my form of therapy. And I find yeah. that um, people really enjoy cause I get pretty deep into some of those psychological components of mm -hmm. achieving your goals and, and nutrition and training and all things are, are fair game on the show. So that's the best place to, uh, if you want to listen to more. Yeah. Well, make sure you guys check that out and, uh, follow the show and share, share it with a friend. If you guys got some value out of this and we'll catch you guys in the next one.